should be working. So. Right, the reading is from Matthew chapter 6, and it can be found on page uh, 971 in the Bible, if you have one with you. Starting from verse 25, do not worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Muchas gracias, international. Um, Yes, so as you can probably tell from that, we are today going to be looking at Don't Worry. As I venture into a new project which leaves plenty of potential to worry, I thought it would be good to put myself into training how not to do it. Um, and I don't know about you, but people have often said to me, well, there are seasons when everything's hunky-dory and there's nothing to worry about, and then there's seasons when everything goes wrong. But I have to say, in my experience, that's not true. In any particular experience on any day, there is always something I find I could worry about, should I so wish. <laughs> I am a self-confessed lifelong worrier. Uh, I have been taught how to do it from a child and find it very difficult to stop. So I genuinely am doing this talk partly for myself and I've been practicing it uh, ahead of time just to make sure that it works and it does, but it's a slow process. So I thought what I would do to start off with is just give you a story from my vast repertoire of worrying so you could have a look up and close um, personal what worrying looks like. And it comes from a long hot summer when James and I went on holiday to Normandy in France, where his family were gathering together for a family get-together. 
And uh, we'd had a, a big lunch and we were endeavouring to walk it off in the beautiful countryside. Hardly any people around there were walking in the lush green countryside, blue sky, birds twittering. And then there's this sort of noise that sounds like a sort of low-pitched mosquito irritatingly starts building up in the background and it gets closer and closer until I look overhead and I see the most impossible flying machine uh, I have ever seen. Uh, seen in my life, and very improbable if I may say so. It was a bit like a scooter, a sort of tricycle, and on top of that it had a kite, and at the back to propel it forward it had what looked like a fan. <laughs> Apparently they're called microlites, and they look like that. I am not kidding you, it's insane. And I looked up and I, I said, as one does, gosh, I expect you would get a wonderful view from up there, thinking in my head, but you'd have to be an absolute lunatic to get in the thing. And my husband replied to me, oh yes, you do, you can see for miles. Have you never been in one? Thinking to himself, what a wonderful idea. I could give her a surprise present. <laughs> I was blissfully unaware of that and enjoyed the rest of my walk. And it was all good until lunchtime the next day and the whole family were gathered. And my husband announced to everybody that he'd brought me a surprise, a flight on a microlight. Woo! The family were very enthusiastic. I was very quick to explain how grateful I was. Who wouldn't want a husband who buys surprise gifts? That's wonderful. Always encourage him in that. That is great. But I do have um, a fear of heights. So I definitely didn't think that was me. And I politely said, thank you so much, but we'll take it back. Uh, but the family would have none of it. It's very safe, they said. And the pilot is really experienced. And you'll love it. Um, I explained very clearly as tight, as clearly as I could, that I didn't really want to go, and I didn't think it was safe in the slightest. But they were insistent, and my flight was booked for 2.30 the next day. And it was at that point that I really started to worry. From that moment onwards, my stomach churned. And the more I tried not to think how it's impossible for a tricycle with a fan stuck on the, on the back to stay in the air, especially after the amount of lunches I've been eating, uh, and I kept having these pictures of everybody gathered around the sort of strawberry jam as it had come down afterwards and lamenting the fact they'd forced me onto it. So I, of course, didn't enjoy the day. I didn't sleep a wink at night. I, I woke up the next day with sort of black rings like this and sort of stomach going. But uh, everybody had lunch, not me. Everybody else had lunch, and then uh, we all went off in convoy to the airstrip. The airfield, it transpired, literally was that, a field. And through the field, somebody had uh, mowed with their lawnmower a strip, and that was, that was the flight path. And parked at the end was this monstrous contraption that shouldn't exist. And so we all gathered round, and the man put a helmet on me and strapped me into the contraption, patted me on the back and said, we're good to go. Everybody was very excited. They all backed off. I held on to the metal frame, because obviously if I held off on, it wouldn't be able to drop out of the sky. That was my thinking clear as anything. I was shaking. So I, we started bumbling down the runway. I got my eyes closed, my head bubbling up and down. We go, and I'm like, Nyeh! can't see a thing, eyes closed. Up we go. 
and it sort of calms down a bit, and I open my eyes, and it, they were right. You can see for miles in all directions. The people down there look like tiny little tin soldiers, all still very keenly waving at me. And we flew off. We went everywhere. We went over the woods. We, went, we flew around over the house where we were staying. We went back over the sea. And we went over the Mont Saint-Michel, which is a famous island that's near us. And in case you think I'm making this up, um, I've got a picture of me. That is me. I'm the one in the white helmet at the back. You can see me holding on. He said, raise your hand and wave. We're going to have a photo taken. And I said, I'm not letting go of this. <laughs> and that little splodge there is the Mont Saint-Michel. So anybody who knows how big it is, we were very high up, very, very high up. Anyway, and then we went, we went back to the airstrip. I'm not going to tell you about the landing. I can only say that after having come to a grounding halt, it took me a few moments to be able to stand on my shaking legs. And the entourage went wild. They all gathered round. They were cheering. They said, wasn't that fun? <laughs> fun? It is true that the views were spectacular. And if I hadn't thought of it as a near-death experience, I could possibly have thought of it as fun, but I didn't. And that's the thing. Being a lifelong warrior sucks the fun out of life. And you know, I'm not alone in worrying. Did you know that in the UK alone, anxiety and stress accounted for NHS beds being occupied for 165,000 800 days last year, at a cost to the taxpayer of £71.1 million. Worry is a national epidemic. So, now my talk's going to come in two halves. The second half is, I'm going to speak about how we can stop doing it. The first half is why we should stop doing it. And uh, I have entitled it, um, Worry is Bad. So here we go, section one. There are four reasons I want to talk to you, to, talk to you about with, for why it's unhealthy. And the first, why it's bad. And the first is, it's unhealthy. And I have to admit that this never occurred to me until I researched this subject. But worry isn't natural to us. Worry isn't something God intended us to do. And therefore, he hasn't designed our bodies to be able to cope with it. I've heard people say, oh yes, well, you've just been created in that way. It's your personality type to worry. I just want to break that now in the name of Jesus. That is not true. Fear, worry, and anxiety have their roots in the fall. They're a gift from the enemy and not from God. Stress and anxiety, therefore, have a seriously destructive impact on our bodies and can lead to many different issues, including, this is just a small selection of them, Muscle tension, breathing and digestive problems, skin disorders, migraines, ulcers, increased blood pressure, heart attacks, to name a few. And after my little flight, my body ate for days because I had been so tense and my digestive system took a full week to recover. And anxiety has the same destructive effect on our mental health, causing, amongst others, depression, anxiety, self-harm, eating disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorders, suicidal thoughts, and panic, panic attacks. That is why our hospital beds are so full of worriers. Our bodies and minds are not designed to cope with it. So the first reason I would like to say that it is not good is that it is unhealthy. And the second reason is... It is unhelpful. Jesus asks, 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Worry is a waste of precious time, energy, and emotion because it never in any way improves our situation. The only changes stress will ever make to our lives are negative. The minute, whoops, the minute we start fretting, our day is bound to take a downward turn, and if we're not lucky, our health will follow suit. As regards my microlite flight, worrying meant I wasted the entire day beforehand Worrying, I didn't enjoy a day of my holiday. Wasted, might as well not have been there. I didn't sleep at all in the night, so I woke up grumpy and tired and still worried the next morning. It didn't add to my day at all. And what's more, I missed out on the incredible views. It was breathtakingly beautiful. I could see through my squinted eyes. Uh, but if I had stopped thinking about how I was going to die and just appreciate all that God had given me, it would have been a different experience. The crazy thing is that in our distress, it doesn't in any way help us. It merely makes our experience of life more unpleasant. So, own goal. So, who can remember? It is unhealthy. It is unhelpful. My third point is, it is blinding. Psalm 12, uh, verses no, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2 begins, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When we experience problems, they can loom over us like mountains, forming dark shadows over our lives and blocking everything else from view. So once I started to worry about the microlite flight, I couldn't see anything good that was around me. All I could focus on was my fear. That's what worry does to us. So I'm now going to give you a demonstration, and I'd like my two very kind volunteers to come up now. Oh. You should worry, but it gives you practice to defuse afterwards. I've left something behind here. Thank you. Don't need my umbrella yet. <laughs> right. So first of all, these, can we all see, they're mountains, and these represent our problems, and David's going to hold them in front of his face. Great view. Right, and if I could ask you to put that on. Right, right. and this, if you just imagine, it's like a Roman toga sort of thing. So, and then, if you could take that and shine it at him. So if you, if you look over here at the uh, Tola, you put that there. Right, this is marvelous, okay. The stage is set. David, what can you see? Oh no, you need a microphone. Hang on a minute, don't answer. What can you see? Um, some black, grey um, stuff uh, with three peaks and with white. I think you're saying very beautifully drawn mountains. Yes. Can you see anything else? Not a lot. Okay. Could you hold it a bit further away from you, please? Now what can you see? Oh, I can see a torchlight. Ah, very exciting. And what else? I can see a white cloak. 
Hmm, what could this be? Hold on a moment. I'm going to remove that out of your hands and put it over here. You can now hold that with all many hands. Now, what can you see? Um, a queen, a king, uh, someone. You're, you can see the glory of the Lord shining upon you. <laughs> It is. That, that's what it is, yes. And how, how big do you think your mountains look now? <laughs> There's a reason for that. How, how big are the mountains now? They're quite small. But they were big earlier, weren't they? They were huge, yeah. Uh, but they haven't actually changed size, so it's really a perspective thing. Correct. I think you guys have done beautifully well. Thank you very much. Round of applause. Uh, I'm their agent. If you want more work, just let me know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Right. So the thing is that um, makes worrying so bad is it puts our problems center stage, exaggerating and exacerbating them until, like those mountains, they become overwhelming and block everything else from our view. This is not how God intends us to live our lives. So the first reason not to worry is it's un, then it's also un, and it's excellent. And the fourth and final reason why you shouldn't worry is it strangles faith. <laughs> That's when my husband annoys me what I look like. Um, so worry isn't just bad for us physically and mentally. It's also toxic for us spiritually. Another thing that I learned writing this talk is that the word worry comes from the old English word rigum, which means to strangle. It quite literally means to throttle or choke. And I would like to suggest that the very worst thing about worrying is that it throttles and chokes our faith. That's why Jesus is so insistent that we do not do it. And I've been a Christian for about 30 years now, and I've seen far too many Christians fail to step into their calling because of worry. And this comes in many, many different shapes and forms. I've encountered Christians who are able to pray out loud for somebody who's in need because they're fearful that what they say won't be the right thing. I've seen gifted communicators prevented from, from preaching due to anxiety that their talk won't be good enough. I've known Christians paralyzed by fear when they've encountered injustice, unable to take a stand for fear of the consequences. I've seen materially rich Christians prevented from giving for fear of not having enough. And I myself have missed numerous opportunities because I've frittered them away with worry. Worry isn't just a waste of time and energy, but it's restrictive and debilitating, causing us to make decisions based on fear and not on faith and therefore diminishing our ability to live life in all its fullness. If left unchecked, worry takes control of our lives, leaving us immobilized and ineffective. So there you have it. Four reasons why worry is bad. I'm now going to see if you can remember them. It is number one. Number two. Number three. And number four. Strangles faith. Brilliant. So do we all agree it's not a good thing? We don't want to be doing it. But it's not very easy not to do it. So I'm now going to be focusing on the second section, which I have imaginatively entitled, God is good. 
And in this, in this section, I want to look at four steps that we can take in order to combat the urge to worry. And the first step that you need to take is take a stand. And I, I loved that moment in the film. I know it's a Marmite film, some people don't like it, but I loved it. And that moment for me highlighted what it means to be a Christian and uh, take a stand for something that's right. So we've established that worry isn't part of God's plan, but is part of the enemy's strategy, strategy to take us out physically, mentally, and spiritually. Therefore, the first thing we need to do when worry threatens to take hold is to recognize that worry is not a natural thing to us, but it's spiritual attack, and we need to take a stand. When the enemy tempts us to worry, he's attempting to cause us to make bad decisions based on fear, not faith. Because fear causes us to retreat, making us less than God created us to be, and rendering us incapable of taking ground. Faith, on the other hand, fills us with courage and gives us confidence to risk for God, to do things that we couldn't possibly do in our own strength, like battling giants, walking on water, or growing God's kingdom. And I think this is beautifully illustrated in Numbers 13. And this is the bit where Moses sends out 12 men to check out the promised land. So they've been in the promised land for 40 days and they come back and report to Israel about what they've found. All the scouts agree on what they've seen and that's principally two things. One, the land is better than anything they could have hoped for. And two, it's filled with giants. Ten of the 12 scouts focus on the second point, the size of the giants, rather than on the size of their God. And as a result, they're overwhelmed by fear and they recommend retreat. This is what they say. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. All the people we saw are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Only Caleb and Joshua focused on the size of their God. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And this principle holds true for us. Whenever we encounter worry, we have to choose whether to focus our attention on the size of the problem or the size of God. Whichever focus we choose will inevitably impact our behavior. That's why Jesus urges us, you of little faith, don't worry saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink, for the pagans run after these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I ruined my microlight flight because I chose to meditate on the size of my problem rather than choosing to meditate on my trustworthy God. When we indulge the urge to worry and meditate on our problems, turning them around in our minds, trying to view them from every angle, much as we might do meditating on a passage of scripture, sooner or later they will consume us. So at the first sign of worry, we need to choose to take a stand. The second step that's needed is, is to hand our worries over to God. Whatever your situation, 
However overwhelming it may seem, remember you're not alone. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Talk to him. And then cast your cares onto the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Do you remember um, just a second ago when we had David and Toller on stage, they demonstrated that the mountains of our problem can block our view. When the enemy is taunting you with worries and telling you that your situation is hopeless, make the decision to hand them over to God's care because God is bigger than any problem you face and he promises to give you the strength to face whatever giants come your way. And I want to be really clear at this point that I'm not trying to minimize some of the problems that we will be facing. I'm not saying our worries aren't very real. Like the, gi- the giants that Israel face, our problems may be very intimidating. And I'm not trying to minimize the situation or say the threat isn't real. But what I'm trying to bring into focus is the fact that worry isn't the answer. In fact, it's guaranteed to make any bad situation even worse. Therefore, before handing our fears over to God, it's essential to our well-being that we make a decision to fight the battle and to give God uh, what he needs to be able to win it on our behalf. So the first step we take is take a stand. The second is to hand our worries over to God. The third is to choose to worship. It seems like an unnatural thing to do when you're overwhelmed by a situation. I remember when I first became a Christian, I went to a prayer meeting and I listened in as as one of the members of our congregation who was um, living in a situation where his wife had cancer and his worry was going bigger every day. And he asked one of the elders of the church how to try and get a hold of it so he could be fully present to the situation. And the elder said the best thing that he could suggest would be to worship. Because the reason worship is so helpful is it takes our eyes off our problem and onto God. And then we remember, actually, this is the same God who's rescued us many times before. It's the same God who's been through every battle that we've been through in our life with us. And it's the same God who loves us so much that he went to the cross and died for us. So he definitely cares, but also he's so big, there's nothing that's beyond his reach. He created the heavens and the earth. He put the stars in the sky. There's nothing that's beyond his reach. That's who we're worshipping. And when we've got the perspective on who our God is, suddenly our problems haven't gone away. Like when the problems were standing with God, they haven't disappeared, but they're just much smaller They're not overwhelming our life, and we are able to enjoy other things in life. So the first step is to take a stand. The second step, hand your worries over to God. And the third, worship. And the fourth step I would like to recommend is practice. Let me finish by saying I am a consummate warrior. I was raised by someone who was worse than me. If she wasn't worrying, she was worried that she'd forgotten the thing she was supposed to be worrying about. And that's not even a joke, that's for real. I was therefore trained in worrying from an early age. And so it's become a normal pattern of behavior for me. 
but I want to change this pattern. But if I'm going to do that, I can expect I'm going to have to put in some practice. I'm quite often able to compete steps one, two, and three, and then I go and rip the mountains back off God again and put them back here, and I have to repeat the process of step one, two, and three, giving them back to God until I'm able to walk away and leave him in charge. If you're a well-trained warrior, if you've ever been um, skiing, so when I was younger, I did skiing, and we went on a button lift, and they put this button between your legs and you have to keep your skis parallel to go up the lift it's almost impossible if you're a new skier not to fall over so it's like a, a comedy carnage and the thing is if somebody in the snow has already gone off to the side and had their accident what happens is you're merrily trying to point your skis up and then suddenly one of them follows their line off to the side and before you you know it you're in trouble so you've got to make new imprints in the snow You've got to find new ways of doing it, and that takes practice, and you may fall down a few times, but you shouldn't give up, because it's like learning to practice the piano or going to the gym. Your performance will improve over time. And as I have been practicing um, for my talk, I can tell you this does work. It's uh, hard work if you're going through something that you're going to worry about. Um, Personally, we're stepping um, out of our comfort zone, and we will be stepping further and further out of our comfort zone. I'm stepping into the unknown. There's nobody who's making it safe in advance. It's, everything is going to be contested on the way there. There's plenty of space for me to worry, and I could make this an absolute nightmare, or I could really enjoy this adventure, trusting that God is with me, and that he's going to do amazing things through and with us. So it's the same experience, but I could live it in two very different ways. And I think that's our choice. I think too often the church has been conned to say, oh, poor you, you're worrying, you're just designed that way. You were never designed that way. God never designed you to worry. You may have been trained and brought up to worry, but it's not the way you're designed. You are designed to have life in all its fullness. So can we, as a church, make a decision to at least put up a fight? If this is the enemy and he's trying to take out the army, let's ask one, let's just say, no, that's it. You shall not pass. So let's pray.